We've been to all four corners of Britain in our quest to interview the great and good of entertainment. Comics, actors, writers, politicians, singers, dancers and choreographers. It doesn't matter who they are. They've all given me their own take on the world they live in and have, in their own way, helped to define what makes Britain great. So join me and my assistants as we get another insight into the marvellous and enigmatic world of showbiz here on Beyond the Title. Writer, actor and comedian Dave Spikey became an overnight star in 2000 when he secured a role as failed entertainer Jerry Dignan in That Peter Kay Thing in the first episode entitled In the Club. Due to the popularity of the episode, Channel 4 commissioned a series and Peter Kay's Phoenix Nights was born. Beyond sitcom, in 2005, Spikey united with the talents of Jimmy Carr and Sean Locke for four series of the Channel 4 panel show, 8 Out of 10 Cats. In 2017, he appeared as a self-obsessed businessman, Mr. Gruff, in British romantic comedy film Finding Fatima, before returning to stand-up with his 30th anniversary tour, Juggling on a Motorbike. I caught up with the comedy heavyweight to talk heroes, laughs, and his recollections on a remarkable career in comedy. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dave Spikey. Well, in the age of reality TV, talent shows are the bedrock of light entertainment. But in 1987, you won the, well, let's say the X factor of its day, Stairway to the Stars. <laughs> Now, how did this offer you a springboard to launch your career? And what are your memories of the great Larry Grayson? Oh, yeah. At 87, pivotal, pivotal moment of my life, yeah. I worked at the hospital for 32 years, you remember, uh, Will, Josh. You know, I, I worked there from 68. And, um, and it was during that time I got involved in pantomimes and uh, producing and directing. Never wanted to be on stage. I had no, no ambition to be on stage. Then somebody drops out. And you end up having to go on there because you know the part, you know the role. And I found I loved it when I got on there. I was, it took me by surprise in a way. And then, of course, I come off stage and then a nurse whose name you can, it's, it's difficult to forget. She's called Abigail Todd. Um, but she insisted on being called Abby. Call me Abby. I won't be called Abigail. And then she didn't realise for a minute that she was now called a bit odd. And, um, <laughs> And she she said to me those immortal words, you're, you're, you're really funny, you should be a comedian, I'm a big fan of comedy, you should... And like an idiot, I, I, I sort of believed her for no, for no reason. <laughs> and then I went off doing the talent show, as you say, and I won there was a heat at Scarborough Opera House. Um, it's not there now, it's a world of wicker. And I went over there to do it, and I won that, and I ended up in, the, as you say, the wonderful Stairway to the Stars in Torquay. And imagine my... I got to the final, imagine that... You're, I've just come from a hospital environment, like an ordinary environment, and I'm now being uh, judged, if you like, by the great Larry Grayson, uh, Nina Mishkoff, uh, Buster Merrifield, the brilliant Buster Merrifield, and Dora Bryan, one of the best ever comedians. And, uh, and yeah, and I won it. Um, just unbelievable. And, I, and th immediately you think, I'm a star, you know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so then I had to come back up to the, uh, to the Northern club circuit because we're, we're talking in 87 and there were no what they call alternative, I hate tags, but no, no alternative clubs. And so I had to uh, do the Wiki Men's Clubs and uh, that brought me back down to earth yeah. rapidly, you know. <laughs> but, but, but having, having done that, it, we, 
you know, I, I sort of picked up a lot of little hints and ideas for when we started writing Phoenix Nights together. So, uh, but there were there were, oh, there were there were strange days in the working men's clubs. So I bet you were you were humbled pretty quickly going back into that environment. I'll tell you the most humbling part. So I was doing this gig and it was in Wigan, uh, and uh, I was waiting to go on. And the guy went on, the, and he was a real Brian Potter. He was a real you know, typical concert secretary. And he calmed the crowd down. They dabbed the bingo and all that. And he said, right, now then, listen, look, we've got an announcement from the committee. He said, no, um, we've, had, we've had complaints from the members, uh, serious complaints, hurtful complaints, incorrect complaints about the committee misappropriating funds. And I'd like to put that to rest because we haven't. And I, I, they're very hurtful. People have been saying we've been misspending your money and fees and funds and that. And it, it's, it's just wrong. So all these allegations have got to stop. One allegation after another after another, and they've got to stop. So we're having a meeting on Wednesday night, and we want all the alligators at that meeting. <laughs> and, then, and then he said, and I'm waiting to come on. So he said, anyway, the one the one thing that has hit home with us, really, is the fact that you said we're not spending enough money on your cabaret on a Saturday night. Uh, and, and to be fair, we've had a discussion, and you, you're correct. We have, we have shortchanged you on the cabaret scene on a Saturday night. We've cut... We've cut what we've been paying the acts and the artists. We've gone back to the original agents, and so you'll not be getting any more rubbish acts on on a Saturday night. We can guarantee you that. But that's for next week. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> please welcome <laughs> Dead Spanky. Oh, that, that's <laughs> perfect. Um, well, you want to? You want to speak? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a sitcom sort of scenario Josh has just said. Well, it was. It, it, it became part of Phoenix, and it? it became mm. part of Phoenix. That's, it, it could be a real scene for, yeah, for, that, yeah. for, that, for that series, yeah. And we'll get on to Phoenix Nights in a, in a minute, but um, you were briefly in a double act with Rick Sykes, um, which culminated in an appearance on New Faces in 1992. Mm. Uh, what do you think is the secret of a great double act? Oh, well, you know, we've just lost one of the best ones ever um, in uh, Cannonball, Bobby Ball, uh, past. And I was lucky enough, I mean, I'm fortunate enough and blessed enough to work with. One of my first ever gigs in comedy ever was supporting Cannonball on tour. And, you know, it's a chemistry. You, you've got to have that chemistry. It's got to be believable. It's can't, it can't appear scripted. It's got to be completely normal banter. Um, and the few and far between the really good double X. Uh, we sort of went the other way, me and Rick, uh, Spike and Saki. I, I think we were still, I might say myself, I, th I think we still had something to offer, but it was very scripted. But I think the best double acts are just like mates have bantering on stage and, you know, and, the, and a false antagonism, a false friction between them and finding fault with each other and bouncing off one another. Um, it's uh, it's very difficult. Cannon and Ball had it in spades. He had, he had a rare gift, Bobby. It's that secret of... Um, being made one, the straight man making the the, 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 the like the comedian if you like making them feel vulnerable and the audience siding with them and then them fighting back it's like a it's like a yeah it's like a, it's a bad banter constant banter between them um but but then always i always remember that bobby and tommy always used to finish off by singing wind beneath my wings and you are the wind beneath my wings and and, and it's just you need that element of poignancy as well you need that element of of uh, yeah emotion between them it's a delicate balance, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
Now, um, you first met Peter Kay in 1996. What were your first impressions of the guy? Um, I met I, I, I won this thing called the Northwest Community of the Year, which was a big deal. In, 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 I mean, the year before me, for instance, Carolina Hearn won it. God bless her. Genius. And, uh, and then it was... Um, in subsequent, I think Jason Manford won it as well. And it was, a, it was a sort of tradition that subsequently a winner would host the final in the future. So I was hosting this, as you say, uh, in that whatever year it was. I forgot, 96, was it? I met Peter. Um, yeah. And um, I was hosting the final and I just got there on. I, I, didn't, I didn't know he was in the final. I was just turned up on the night and there were 10 acts and Johnny Vegas was in it. He's, a, he's an old mate, old mate now. And um, he was the favourite. And uh, then... Uh, Agraman, who organised it all, you might know John Marshall, who's a great promoter of, of comedy. Agraman, the human anagram, which is quite a genius line. Um, he um, he said, "Oh, he a young lad here." Uh, he said, "He's in he's in the bar there. He's been here for ages. He's a bit nervous." He said, "He's from Bolton. He's, have you, do you know him, Peter Kerr?" So I went and had a chat before the gig. Got on very well. And then they'd make a draw, who goes on where. And Peter got drawn like 10th out of 10. And oh, what a shame. He's only ever done about three gigs. And he's going to he's gonna die on his backside going on last mm-hmm. to a drunken crowd in a final. Mm-hmm. So it all goes on. It's all going nice and well, ups and downs. Johnny Vegas goes on and storms it in a really good position, about sixth out of 10. He's nailed on, no problem. And I remember just, and I went on, and Peter always reminds me of this. Because um, we were running way over over time, and it was people were tired and drunk, and I just went on and I went, calm down, trying to calm them down, calm down. There's only one left. <laughs> that was my introduction. Yes. So I said, <laughs> I said, there's only one left. Oh. Uh, young lad from Bolton, blah blah blah. Uh, Peter K. And he came on, and from the moment he came on, he owned the stage at a young age and in those circumstances. And you just stand there going, you know you know, straight away when somebody's got something that bit special. Mm. And he once he just sat on the edge of the stage trying to calm down, but just chatting to them and just running around and doing daft stuff that, like kids do at weddings. You've probably seen him do that. And, and he just got them. And it was an amazing thing to see. And, I mean, the judges afterwards, we had the conflict. They were, what do you think? I went, there's nothing to think. There's nothing to think. There's only one... There's only one winner. There's only one, you know, potential yeah. star here. Well, I got it wrong because Johnny Vegas, obviously, but but Peter was the one, and you knew straight away. Yeah, a clear outlier, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in '97, uh, you secured a hosting role on the game show Chain Letters, uh, following in the footsteps of Jeremy Beadle and Ted Robbins. Now, how significant was it to have your own TV vehicle? It was it was a massive step up. Um, it was very very scary because I was still at the hospital. I just two two weeks holiday. It was it was it was hard work. And Peter actually wrote some links for me on that. It's the first time we one of the first times we got together writing uh, with some other mates. And um, yeah, I, and it, it was five shows a day, and there was no auto cue, and it was pressure pressure pressure. So it was a big learning curve as well. But yeah, in terms of like getting you get you. Television's the be all and end all. You've just got you get your face on television. Um, I think I could have done it better. I think it was okay. For, I did five shows a day for like ten days or something like that. Um, and uh, you can always look back and say, well, I should have handled that a bit better. But it was a precious situation, and you get the same audience for two shows, and the same audience for three shows, and when they've seen one show, they've had enough basically. Yeah. And that uh, and, and that's how I got the gig. I was the warm up. I was the warm up man for the chain letters. And then I was propelled into the into the spotlight. I've had the producer must have seen something. 
And it was great at the time. It was absolutely great at the time. But when I look back at it now, I do sort of cringe a little bit and think I could have done better. But under the circumstances and still having the day job to go back to afterwards, mm. it, was a, it was a big... To be recognised as well and to see somebody, somebody think, some producer thinks you've got some talent enough to do it. Um, so, it was, yeah, it was a big deal. That's good. Well, uh, you won the Best Newcomer Award at the British Comedy Awards as well. Um, and what effect did this have on the direction of your career? It just, no, you know, it's a bit, a bit of a cliche, but it's all a blur, really, because you just do it and you do your best you can, and then the awards come up. Um, I didn't actually win the Best Newcomer. I was nominated for the Best Newcomer um, at the British Comedy Awards, and I lost it to ooh, Chris, what's, Chris Marshall out of uh, my family, and then obviously Death in Paradise and things like that. Um, but I was, <laughs> it was funny because I was nominated for it, and Johnny Vegas, by coincidence, loads of coincidences, he was announcing the awards, and he's, <laughs> I was sat on the front table, and said, he said, the nomination for the best newcomer, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Dave Spike it, and he just looked down at me and winked. And I thought, oh, I've won it. And then all the audience laughed. And then he opened it and went, what? <laughs> just <laughs> got it completely wrong. But, um, but no, no, I mean, just, you just take it in your stride, really. I mean, I know it sounds a bit twee, but, you know, it's in the hospital. I've sort of got, it's getting your priorities right, really. Hmm. It, uh, I suppose, I suppose it was good. I suppose it, it helped a lot, but... I just, I just carried on with it, really. And then, you know, Phoenix Phoenix ran its course. And then I was lucky enough to... I suppose it opened doors in terms of, like, getting my scripts looked at after that because I had a couple of things on telly after that that maybe I might struggle a bit to do without that recognition. I don't know. They're quite, they're quite brave, aren't they? The amount of times they asked Johnny to do the... Um... <laughs> the nominations and that it never quite you never quite knew what was going to happen when you watched no. Johnny on stage on, 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 in those scenarios oh well you know Johnny's Johnny and I think he's you know if you're talking about real comedy greats you know it's people who just go by the seat of the pants who just improvise and extemporize all the time he, he's up he's right up there and he was in um, just just following on from that of course one of the series I got was uh, that I wrote was Dead Man Wears which is about a newspaper office and of course, cast Johnny straight away as the idiot reporter. I thought I need an idiot reporter, Johnny, obviously. So he was brilliant in that. But that was that, that was fun filming with Johnny on Johnny on set for six weeks. Crikey, I bet it was. Uh, moving on to your writing, uh, in two thousand one, you wrote and starred in an episode of that Peter K thing, entitled "In the Club." Now, how did you use your experience as a uh, budding entertainer to perfect the character of Jerry Sinclair? Yeah, well, I, I, I love this series. Uh, the, again, the three of us wrote it. People tend to forget that, like me, Peter, and Neil Fitzmaurice uh, wrote that series as well. And um, In the Club was just one of them, as you say, the one that I was in. Um, it was it was an amalgamation. I grew up in that environment. I grew up, my dad took us to the Wicked Men's Clubs. I sort of knew those people. But what we did was, Peter and I, we went round, um, only because we lived like close together we went all to all the local wicked men's clubs and just talked to them and just went and we went to club committees we got invited to meetings we went we went to the cabaret nights just to um just to refresh our memories really and of course i'd come back from such for a star and uh and worked the wicked men's club circuit for about a year as well so mm. it's just picking up those little idiosyncrasies just picking up those little notes because everywhere we went they were they had funny stories to tell us of things that had happened in that club and they weren't they were funny stories, but it's not what we were after. We were after like the realism of it and just the nuances of of the uh, of the characters. 
Uh, and we, we picked up loads and loads of stuff from there. But we sort of knew that world and Peter knew that world because, you know, my dad, my mum and dad used to social club every, every Saturday night when I was growing up. So I used to go later on. And um, I think you, it, it, it's all about, yeah, you've got the, sit, you've got the situation, but obviously you've got the comedy of just getting the characters right and picking the right characters who go in these clubs and getting the right mix of them. Um, and I think that's that was a secret. And using the real audience. So we've, we filmed everything, filmed everything on stage during the day or over two days. And then on the next night, we actually got a real, that, that club, uh, St. Gregory's Club in Farmwood, we got that audience in, turned the cameras on them and did the same show to them and got real reactions from real people, you know. So there was all sorts of, yeah, elements of, of experience and research that went into it. Josh says um, one of his one of his favourite bits from Phoenix Nights was the um, the bouncy castle incident. How did you how did you get away with that? <laughs> <laughs> How did you know the idea for that? <laughs> well, we, we got the idea. I think we just read about something similar somewhere. And uh, so we had this idea of it being one of the sets. And he actually says, doesn't he, uh, at one stage, the Bernard Briglitz character, who he brought it in, who's another Bolton comedian, he, um, he actually, he actually says, oh, it's one of the sets. Do you want to see the other one? And you just have to imagine what the other one is, basically. You know? <laughs> Um, but yeah, we did have that. But this, I mean, it is it's a, it's classic, isn't it? Just and a lot of it uh, on the day, just sort of improvised as well. <laughs> it's ten foot cock and balls, man. It's just, it's just <laughs> the snake and his legs. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what? And young, and young Kenny, young Kenny says uh, we can. We maybe can disguise it. And Brian Potter says, "Yeah, we'll put a bob hat on it and say it's you." <laughs> 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 no, it's just uh, it, yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong as soon as you've got that. And of course, when Jerry, when Jerry's on stage later on, dressed as a giant berry, mm. like I, I, I left the hospital in on Friday the thirteenth, two thousand. As I was a senior chief by by a medical scientist in haematology, and I left. I hung my I hung my microscope up. I switched my microscope off. And, and I walked out on the National Health career of 32 years. And the week after, I'm on stage, dressed as a giant berry, with his 20-foot cock and balls inflating behind me, <laughs> thinking, thinking, was this a good career move or was yeah. it? <laughs> Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> well, like so many of Britain's best-loved sitcoms, I mean, such as Steptoe and Son, Porridge, Open All Hours, uh, Phoenix Nights started life as a, as a one episode from a series of six different pilots. Yeah. Um, why do you think that this formula has produced so many successful sitcoms? Um, I don't know what formula, which... Josh uh, said, like old comedy playhouse, you know, where you'd have... Uh... Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, because you, you, you've got uh, you've got selection, haven't you? Really, basically, and so we had um, 
We had, uh, you know, we had the, obviously in the club, we had one about an ice cream man. We had the oldest paper boy in Britain. We had the bingo hall. Yeah, you're right. And and so I think it's it gives you a, it's got a massive choice there. But you've got you, then you look at the one that's got most potential in terms of like recurring stories, new stories, new characters, new people being able to come into it and interact with the established characters and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's I mean, I did um, I did a thing called Magnolia for. BBC comedy players uh, about some places and decorators, and but I just rolled the one. So I meant the comedy players was a great idea because then you got different teams or different single writers writing all along. Of course, it's 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 obviously it's difficult what commissioners are looking for at the time. So if you present them with a selection, chances are they're going to pick out one that fits, sort of thing. Not always the best fit, but that's how it goes. That's how they get there. Yeah. Uh, in what ways did Phoenix Knights help with the rediscovery of the phenomenon of working men's clubs, which, you know, have been responsible for creating so many comedy stars throughout the generations? Well, I think it was, uh, I think it was massive, really. I think people have sort of forgotten they were there, in a way. Um, and they have declined. They were in decline. But what people tend to forget is that they, they weren't just entertainment venues, were they? They were like, you know, especially round our way, I'm sure we're not unique, I'm sure it's the same countrywide, people tend to think they're a north, northern phenomena, but they're not, are they? Everywhere's, everywhere's got British legions and conservative clubs and you name it. Um, but they're, they're more than that, they're so important because people do a hard day, hard, sorry, hard work's week, hard week's work, start again, hard week's work, and then just need to uh, get together with the mates and have a, have a couple of drinks and, and, and have, a, have a chat and and go midweek for, for various various functions and so the, the, the community centres, the, the entertainment is almost, almost incidental. They're just the hub of the community where people can come and exchange ideas and have a chat and, uh, in that, and, and get dressed up to do it on a Saturday and Friday night and have some cabaret. Um, it's so important. And I think maybe people, it, it maybe uh, reawaken that, uh, that memory in people. I don't know. Made it more popular again, I think, perhaps. Um, the relationship between Brian Potter and Jerry became one of the most enduring aspects to the series. Uh, how enjoyable was it to play out? I, was, it was, I had to audition for Jerry because I'd never acted before. <laughs> Get away. Um, <laughs> before my but, uh, but I sort of knew Jerry. Jerry was an amalgam of all the club comics, stroke club compass, club vocalist that I've, I've ever seen and we saw on our travels. And I suppose, you know, you know, you got it right when you're, whenever you are in the country, people say, oh, that Jerry St. Clair, you're based in one of our at British Legion, didn't you? You're based in one of our at whatever conservative club. He was, he was your quintessential compere. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, um, again, like, it's like step two and so, like we mentioned before with Cannon and Ball, if you get like that little, that, that, that relationship where underlying, underlying is, is respect and, uh, a little bit of yeah togetherness between the two of them and uh, and but all the time they're bickering and bouncing like an old married couple basically and then sort of second guessing everybody second guessing in the argument what they're going to say what you come back at them and and then uh, then right at the end brian potter always trumps him brian potter's in control he, jerry thinks he's getting his own brian potter trumps him and it's yeah it's um it, it's like a, it's like getting that relationship now, uh, moving on from there, in 2005, you joined forces with Jimmy Carr and Sean Locke for 8 out of 10 cats. 
Now, mm. cap shows are notoriously difficult to perfect, but what do you think it was about the format and the dynamics between you all that proved so popular? Um, I, I knew as soon as I, I got to go and do the pilot, and I knew as soon as I did it, because it was, at the time, it was different to all of the panel shows. It was, it didn't take itself too seriously. Obviously, it's got genius comedy on it. Uh, Jimmy Carr is just a, is a brilliant, brilliant host. Uh, Sean is, is phenomenal and is just off the wall and left field, you know, um, comments and, and ideas. And I used to have to, I, I, don't, I think I was the ballast. I think they put me in as, as like just steadying the ship and just being, just telling stories basically, because I used to have to, I, I took me all week. It, it, it's completely took over my life in terms of like, because your first half of the program is all about topical news, what's going on in the news this week. And uh, so you have to identify what stories were going to come up. It wasn't fixed. We didn't know until the day of recording what we were going to be given or what we're going to be in the top five. And so I'd be sitting researching, trying to think of funny, funny comments and funny, you know, uh, where, uh, where's they're looking at current topical news stories and stuff. Whereas Sean Locke are just, you just think of them like that. So it was, I found it very, very difficult, but maybe I was like the, I, I don't know, not the straight man, but I, I was like the solid, just churn oh, stuff out. Yeah, just, uh, yeah. Like almost stop, like the glue holding it together. Well, not so much that, but just like, I was just the one, the one they could just turn to for a, I don't know, I just, I'm the same as, as I'm doing myself down here. But you know, yeah, I was like, um, I was like not a straight man in the comedy act, but just I, I was the one that reliably would come out with a funny story, if you yeah. like. But yeah. you need that as well because you couldn't you couldn't have two Sean Locks on the show because it would it would water it down, or you couldn't have two yeah. Jimmy's on the show because again it would just yeah, yeah. It would be the focus but, on them. You do need yeah. like you say that straight man in there as well. Yeah, but that but there was but there was an amazing show because like you could get anybody on it, and and mm. uh, you know we had uh, sportsmen on it, uh, news news newscasters on it. We had like. Um, um, American, American I, I was on the same, uh, I mean, she was on my team twice. John, uh, John Rivers was on my on my side. So John Rivers, I'm like sat next to John Rivers because of this show. <laughs> I took my autobiography of hers down um, because uh, she is one of my absolutes. If you've never read John Rivers' autobiography, um, uh, and I just, I, I just, I was in, in awe of her and I, I just pulled it out from underneath her. Table during one of during one of the breaks and just went. Can you sign that for me, John? <laughs> um, but yeah, some brilliant people on it. And that, the, going back to what you're saying, the secret I think was nobody took it too seriously. Did, nobody's bothered about winning. Mm. What is what is difficult about it in a way is that everybody's on there to to uh, to do well, obviously. But sort of you're not competing against the other team half the time. You're competing against yourself. You're competing against Jimmy. You're trying to top that, top that, top that. It's not. It's not them against us in a way, you know. It's um, you know, some of your team are trying to top you. If you come up with a comment, they'll think of something funny to say and they'll come in. It's not just them against us, which I think is a early on, which made it really popular. Yeah, I think that was the secret behind its success because it was so different, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> And Josh said, um, before 8 out of 10 cats, it was always the BBC that sort of were the kings of the panel shows. Mm, yeah. And obviously, cats 
took that yeah. pretty quick. Um, yeah. Moving on um, to more recent years, in 2017, you appeared as a self-obsessed businessman, Mr. Gruff, in British romantic comedy film Finding Fatima. How significant was this film in highlighting the British Asian culture? Well, it was brilliant, wasn't it? You know, because it's um, it's so important to 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 do that. You know, um, the talent there is absolutely amazing, and when I went down there, it was like oh, totally produced and financed and. Are packaged up uh, by the Asian community down there, and um, and just it's really, it was a, it was a great opportunity for me. I only had like about I think it was one or two scenes in it, two or three scenes in it. But um, no, yeah, obviously it's it's we need to see more and more and more um, mm-hmm. because the talent there, and we've seen it in, in stand up comedy, we've seen it in, in sketch comedy as well. We need it, we need more and more of it because um, they're very 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 naturally talented naturally talented people yeah there's a lot more it's, it's really nice to see in the last sort of in the last decade should we say a lot more diversity coming through in comedy um yeah so that women I even i can't remember i'm gonna i'm gonna hate myself for not remembering her name now but there's the young lady with cerebral palsy that does stand-up comedy and um she's done she was on was it whose show was it jonathan ross's latest comedy show that was on she did a bit oh yeah i missed that yeah i missed that yeah 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 yeah, no there's um so you know even disabled comics everyone's getting their sort of chance now and it's fantastic taking too long hasn't it It really has taken too long but uh yeah it's nice to finally see it's everything's moving in the right direction um and in also in 2017 you celebrated 30 years in the business with a nationwide tour uh, called Juggling on a Motorbike. Now, why did you decide on this title? Right, okay, so um, I wish I, I, I could have shown you. I could have shown you, but I've not, um, I've not got my stuff. Never. I can't think of it. I can't think of it. No, because uh, when I won Stairway to the Stars, which was pivotal, as I say, in because if I hadn't won it, I'd have probably just gone back to the hospital. Would I? Would I carried on with the comedy? I probably would have done, but maybe not as with as much enthusiasm uh, initially. So uh, I, uh, I won the Stairway to the Stars, and Larry Grayson, I'm having a drink with the great, the legend, and he was remarkable, this man, uh, with his tales of variety. Um, and I just sat there enthralled by him all night, and he came over for a chat, and I'm, I'm unbelievable. And he said, you know, he said, Dave, that was very uh, inventive. It's not what we used to, you know, and we come comedians, and that was I'm trying to be a bit different than that. And he said, no, you, what, what, it was very close, but what won it for you was that routine you did about the juggler on the motorbike. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, oh, right, right. He said, no, we've never seen really anything like that. And it was just so clever. And I said, oh, right, okay. So when I was celebrating 30 years, I had to reflect on that and think, well, maybe I wouldn't be here 30 years later if I hadn't done that juggler on a motorbike in that act and decided not to do it on the night. And I haven't won it, and et cetera, et cetera. So I thought it only right to call the call the tour the juggling on a motorbike tour. Yeah, that's nice. And, yeah, it's a nice nod to you know where it all began. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And um, well, looking back at your career, what is what is your proudest proudest achievement? Um, I've had, I've been so lucky. I mean, I had, I had thirty two years. I loved my time in the NHS. I absolutely loved it. And I loved haematology. I loved working in the background in the laboratories there. Uh, but from the comedy point of view, I've just been so lucky. One thing's led to another, led to another. I mean, I know you make your own luck in a lot of cases, but I suppose 
So I, Royal Variety Show would be up there. I did the Royal Variety Show against the Queen. I did Parkinson with Paul McCartney, who's one of my absolute heroes because animal rights and vegetarian. I've been vegetarian for 30 odd years. Um, but weirdly, I think probably it would be, I'll tell you what it would be. Uh, when uh, Phoenix Attacks finished, it gave me the opportunity. We were talking before about television giving you a boost. It gave me the opportunity to take my uh, take a tour, uh, take my, my show on tour in the UK. So I, I hadn't even got an agent. So I got myself an agent, um, comedy story, who championed me quite a lot through the years, and um, put this tour together called Overnight Success Tour because I've been at it for all this time. Mm. So... Um, and I, and I have I have the material because I've been working in the circuit since 1987, and the, t I left it in 2000. And Phoenix Knights finishing off 2002. So anyway, so I took this on tour at the same time that Peter Tukey's Mum Wants a Bungalow <laughs> yeah. tour. Out. Yeah, yeah. And um, so we both played very similar theatres, which was quite quite a thrill. And then Manchester Evening News have a big, a massive big theatre awards event every year. And they have best comedy, best opera, best ballet, best. You you get the picture. And um, and right at the end, they have best show in town, that's voted for by the readers and the 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 theatre theatre goers of Manchester. So all the went came and went came and went came and went. And uh, I uh, Peter won best best comedy show in town uh, for Mum's Got a Bungalow too. And so I'm, by then I've had a few. <laughs> so they went okay best show in town I'm talking and my wife goes bang what you and I went no what and I had to go and I'd won my show on the best show in town voted by theatre goers and the Manchester TV News above all every other show in Manchester that year and I just <laughs> I wish I'd have remembered it because I got on stage <laughs> hammered just hammered this <laughs> was great you know <laughs> But no, I suppose that that was after all those years and working my way through just to, with no plan, just following my nose and just being lucky, I suppose, and Peter and Phoenix and that and that and that and just and it was just an amazing, absolutely amazing thing to have this have this award for for me in a way. And you know what I mean? All the work I put in sort of sounds a bit pretentious, but yeah, that that would be it. Nice to get a recognition. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, what? What? Was it like? Uh, so, uh, one of one of Josh's heroes is Parkinson. So he's just asked, um, "What is it? What was it like to appear on Parkinson?" Oh, Josh, mate, it was. You know when you're watching telly, you know, and you see Parkinson on, and they walk down, walk down those stairs, yeah. don't they? Well, getting goosebumps. Um, and <laughs> I'd never thought, I'd never thought I'd, I'd, I'd be on there. And the weird thing was, I'd done the Royal Variety Show uh, the week before, and Perky was one of the hosts on the. So I met him then, and he settled me down, and I went on. It was, it was iconic, wasn't it? And when I got there, and I find on, I'm, I find out I'm on with. Kira Knightley and uh, Paul McCartney. And the great thing about Parkinson is not just him, because, you know, he sets you up. He's the, he's the consummate interviewer, isn't he? Where he, 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 they do a bit of research with you and he, he knows which way to go and what to pick up on and give you the best, mm. you know, the best uh, platform on which to, to, to show your talents. It, it, it's just awesome to be sitting there in that chair. And um, quick story then. So 
the great thing with Parkinson is once you've done your little bit, because I'm on first, obviously, um, is you stay on. Mm-hmm. You don't see you later. So you stay on. And so Paul uh, Kieran Knightley comes on. I'm, I'm chatting with Kieran Knightley because in between takes, there's quite a bit of dead, dead air. Mm-hmm. And then Paul McCartney comes on and we're talking. He's on, he was on actually to promote some animal rights issue in Europe. I can't remember what it was. So we were talking about that. And um, Michael Parkinson said to me beforehand, he said, I, I'm going to ask Paul to just give us a, give us a song. And he said, Paul always says, I'm not, I, need, I need my favourite guitar here. And uh, so he, well, he's very reluctant to do that. I said, but I've got his, I've got his guitar here. Don't worry about that. I've got it sorted. He said, but then he, he, he quite often comes up with the fact that um, he's not got his plectrum. He, need, he needs a particular plectrum for this guitar. So I've got the plectrum. So you all that, right? So can you believe this? So we get to that point and there have been a great interview and he says to Paul, so give us a bit of a song, will you? And, McCart- and he says, uh, I can't, I need my guitar. I mean, it's a long time ago, so I'm, this is like sort of <laughs> ad lib. Yeah, so, so he said, so he said, oh, he said, I've got your guitar and he gives him a guitar and he, so Paul McCartney goes, ah, but you see, I need, uh, I need a plectrum. And I went, Paul? Oh, <laughs> so he goes okay, and then he played. It's he played the Blackbird, Blackbird singing in the uh uh-uh, me and Pom, Blackbird singing in the. And he only played about I think two or three lines of it, mm. but it was just what what the whole thing. What an experience! Parkinson was the best. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, finally, what what's next for what's what what is next for you? Um, I'm, I'm still touring. I've had, obviously, I'm not at the moment um, with the with the COVID. Um, I, I, I postponed my tour for this year. I moved it from spring to autumn. No, I've moved it all from autumn to spring next year, mm-hmm. and I've just moved up until April, May, again to autumn next year. Yeah. So it's there. I, I've done it about two or three times. It's called a funny thing happened, <laughs> which it did. Um, in brackets, I shot Derek Rigby. Uh, there's a friend of mine, Derek Rigby, and uh, I shot him. And uh, that, that's essentially the story, because I think that's a funny thing. He didn't, but... Um, so it's a story about that. But it's a story about how funny things happen all the time, and we don't really clock them, or we don't really appreciate them. And it's our job as comedians to embellish and, uh, you know, and uh, expand them and whatever. So it's all about funny things that happen without us really knowing, just on normal things. And so that's been put back now till I think my first one's in Wakefield in, in April, just before Easter. But who knows? Who knows? I just did two socially distanced ones um, in Lytham, which were really weird because, <laughs> and I should have thought it out, really, because, I mean, it was sold out, but they were all spaced all over the place. Mm. But they all had masks on. And I never really thought, I thought once you've sat down, you can take your mask off, but you can't. So playing to an audience... <laughs> Masked up was quite an experience, but it went well, it went all right. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview. If you liked this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy? Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again, and hopefully see you next time.